We're going to get back into our, um, our series we've been looking at in the book of Acts. And uh, we've been, if you're visiting, we've been taking a fresh look. And some of you say, we say this every week. That's because there's some people who weren't here the week before and they don't know what we're doing. Taking a fresh look through the summer at the book of Acts. And let's remember what the book of Acts is, because sometimes we've got to go back and remember what's really important, that, that the book of Acts was written by a guy named whom? Luke. Luke was a what? A doctor. Physician. Dr. Luke was commissioned to research the early church and to find out what was happening with this man named Jesus, who was reports that he was dead, and then he came to life, and he rose to the right hand of the Father. And so... Um, so Luke is writing an account. He ends up becoming a ministry travel partner with, um, with Paul, and they travel around the world and they share the gospel all over the place. So that's what the book of Acts is. It's the history book of the early church. And, and, um, and the people that are recording, what, what Luke is recording, were first-hand eyewitnesses of what had gone on. They had seen the ministry of Jesus. They had seen his mock trial. They had seen his death on the cross. They had been ones who witnessed his resurrection from the dead, and now they were going everywhere telling everybody that Jesus, who was dead, is now alive, and he's the Son of God. And so Acts is this history book that records this expansion of the church, where these people went from place to place to place to place telling the gospel, and people came to know Christ as Savior. So it's a history book of the expansion but there's something I want to key in on this morning as before we even look at the details that we're going to look at, because every week we're looking at a theme that runs through Acts. And before we even get to that today, there's something else that's really important that I think we need to remember here. That this is a history book, but this isn't just a history book. Acts, along with the other books of the Bible, make up this Bible that we have, which is the inspired Word of God. That the Bible itself tells us that God inspired human authors to write the messages that are contained in the Bible. The Spirit of God worked through Luke and, and other authors to have them write down the very message that God himself wants you and I to know. That this isn't just another history book. This is, it's the inspired word of God and as the inspired word of God, the Bible is the primary way that God communicates to his people. The primary way when you say, God, speak to me. God, I just want to know what to do. The primary way God speaks to us is through his word, the Holy Spirit inspiring his word to us at that moment, at that time. And the Bible is where we go to to find the truth. And I think in this day and age, this is so important for us to remember. To find the truth, what is truth, where we find the truth, is in God's inspired word. And there's something you just need to understand today. And it's, it's not understood in our society as a whole. Truth is truth. Truth is truth. Truth is, the truth of the word of God is solid. It's unchanging. It's reliable. It's not determined by someone's personal opinion. Well, I think this is truth, and I think that's truth. No, truth is truth. It's truth. And I think more than any other time in my lifetime, we need to be reminded and stand upon the truth that the Bible is the truth of the Word of God given to us. You see, if we stop 
holding to this, if we stop believing this, if we stop teaching our kids this and our grandkids this, then what happens if you don't have the Bible as the revealed truth of God, which for 2,000 years the church has understood, then there is no ability to determine what absolute truth is anymore because there's no standard and anybody can just choose to believe, well, that's truth for me and that's truth for you. So if I believe there is no heaven and there's no hell and that all living beings just cease to exist one day um, without the truth of God, there's no way for anybody to say that's right or wrong. But we have the revealed truth of God, his word, the Bible, and it's in it that we find God's unchanging truth about a myriad of things. We find that according to the Bible, yes, there is a heaven and there is a hell, And all people are eternal, enduring beings, souls, that will live eternally in one of the two places. We find that in the Word of God that Jesus is the Son of God. And that Jesus came as a man, God himself coming to human, becoming a man, to more fully reveal the truth of who God is, and in that revelation to give himself for us on the cross. It's what we just celebrated during communion. So we look to communion. Where do we look to to get the truth of what it means? We look to the word of God. And he gave himself on the cross to die to solve humanity's sin problem. That we were bound in sin, unable to not be captured by sin. And because the Bible says, if you sin, you will die, we're also then cursed to die eternally, spiritually. But Jesus gave his life on the cross broke that because he died and he rose again, broke the curse of sin and death so that now in Christ we can have new life in him and live eternally with him. How do we know all that? We know it because it's revealed in the word of God. These are, these things and so many more are the truth that is revealed from the divinely inspired word of God. And church, the truth is that understanding is under attack today, probably more than any other understanding of the church, that the Bible is the truth of God. And if the church, if you and I would ever give up the belief that the Bible is the word of God, and it's proven itself for, for 2,000 years, God has proven the word of God to be true, and, and that's a whole other sermon in itself, it's a whole bunch of other sermons in itself, to say how can we trust the validity of the word of God But for 2,000 years, the church has stood upon the truth of the word of God. If we would ever give that up, then we really have nothing left because we have no way of saying what is true and what is wrong. We have no objective standard anymore to know what's right. But church, we do have the truth. We do have the word of God written and provided for us, preserved by the Spirit of the Lord. And the Bible itself says this about it, that that the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. So how do I know how to live? I know how to live by the word of God. So, so as we learned of this reality that we're not just God today, I think we just need to be reminded of this reality that we're not just looking into some history book. We are just reading any other book. No, we are literally reading the divine word of God and it's a gift from God, a love letter from God to us and it's truth. And it's truth that you can live by and truth you can depend on. And the church has been doing it for 2,000 years and has never been disappointed by the truth. And the truth we are looking at in the book um, today comes from, in Acts, the idea of stories that happen, narratives 
that, that Luke wrote down. And what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, is we've been looking at those stories from the history book, and we've been pulling truth out of their experience and saying, how does that, with fresh eyes, looking at it, how does that, what does that say to us today? And one of the things we learn as we've been reading this divinely inspired story of the early church's narratives, and this is our topic for today, is that the, that the people who made up the early church were people whose lives were filled with prayer. And every week we've been looking at a different aspect of the early church. Well, that's what we want to look at today, that the early church, that they were people whose lives were filled with with prayer, and want to say, what does that look like today? What does that, how, what applies? What they, that they had, can we take? And what say that doesn't really work like that anymore? And how could it help us today? Um, I want to, I want us to see what their, what their lives of prayer have to say to us. What truth they reveal about the best way that you and I can live out our Christian lives. Now, I'm hoping. You've been taking the challenge that we've given for three months. This is the beginning of the third month of our, of our look at the book of Acts. Um, and you've been reading a chapter a day. And if you read a chapter a day, you'll have read the book of Acts three times in June, July, and August. And you're going to see that, that prayer is constantly in the book of Acts. That you'd notice that the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God, saw to it that Luke continually recorded that the early church prayed and they prayed a lot. That prayer is mentioned constantly over and over throughout the entire book of Acts. And Acts simply reveals that people who are Christians regularly spend time in prayer. Matter of fact, I would imagine that the people of the early church could not in their mind conceive of the possibility that someone could be a Christian and not continually talk to the living God, because they knew God was alive, Jesus was alive, could not talk to the living God who would radically change their lives, and they could not, they could not imagine not calling out to him for direction and empowerment all the time, because that's what we see in the book of Acts. They just lived in this reality that God is here, we don't see him because Jesus ascended, he said he's coming back, but the Spirit of God is here, the Spirit fell upon the church, and they knew the reality of God by the Holy Spirit, and they just talked to God. And it's re- revealed over and over and over. In fact, in fact, repeatedly, Acts says that the early Christians devoted themselves to prayer. And I want us to think about this for a minute. They devoted themselves to prayer. That's what it says about the 100. Remember the 120 were gathered on the day of Pentecost? Acts, the very first chapter, records the story of the 120 followers of Jesus. Jesus had died. He had rose from the dead. He had ascended into heaven. And then he said, now go wait for the promise of the Father, which was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there's 120 in an upper room. They're, they're, they're waiting on Pentecost. And what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, is that those 120 devoted themselves to prayer. It also says in Acts, in Acts chapter 6, that the early disciples, the leaders, so there were 12 in that 120, that they and the early church devoted themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer, and because of that, they had to select deacons who could then do the work of the church. They were actually feeding the hungry. They had to get deacons to do that so that the, that the 12 could devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And then it also says... Um, throughout the throughout Scripture, that everybody else devoted themselves to prayer. Look at Acts chapter two forty one with me. I believe it's on the screen. 
It says thousands of people, this is basically just the context, thousands of people were following Jesus and being baptized. And then verse, and then verse 42 says this, tells what they were doing. They were continually devoting themselves, devoted themselves to prayer, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That they devoted themselves to prayer. Now you say, why are you going through this for? Because I want us to understand something today. Something I think really important that a lot of times we use as an excuse. No excuses today to look at the inspired word of God? Acts 1, just said it, says the 120 were devoted to prayer. Now that's easy to understand because they were the original 120. They literally saw Jesus ascend into heaven. If you saw Jesus ascend into heaven, you would be very apt to spend time talking to Jesus because he said, listen, you can talk to me this way by the Spirit, and you would do it. If you saw that happen, you were the 120, you were there when the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. It was so radical that everybody started speaking in tongues and flooded out in the streets. Everybody thought they were drunk, that you were part of that group, and you're speaking a language you've never learned, and everybody else in the town can understand what you're saying, and you says you're glorifying God with that. You went through this amazing thing. You'd say, well, of course, they devoted themselves to prayer. They're the 120. And in Acts 6, the 12 disciples, you go, of course, they devoted themselves to prayer. Again, they're high-level Christian leaders. We look at, you know, at our pastors and say, of course our pastors are supposed to pray. Of course our pastors pray. They're the high-level people. These are the 12. They're giving their life to the ministry of the word and prayer, and other people are supposed to rise up and do the work of the church so they can devote themselves to it. So they say, of course they do. But in Acts 2, it shows that all of the early Christians were devoted to prayer. Thousands of people had come to Christ, the brand new church, thousands of people. And the comment about the early church, those thousands of people who had all come to Christ, is they devoted themselves to all these different things. And the one thing they devoted themselves to, they devoted themselves to prayer. You see, I want you to understand today, prayer wasn't and isn't a clergy thing, a pastor thing. We don't use the word clergy. It's not a pastor thing or a church leader thing. Also understand this, men, prayer's not a woman thing. Forever the church men have said, oh, that's kind of what women do. Prayer is not a woman thing. Also get this, who's under 70 in here? Under 70, okay? It's not an old person thing. Well, someday I'll pray when I'm old. Prayer's not a a woman thing. It's not a pastor thing. It's not an old person thing. What Acts is trying to reveal, what Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, goes out of his way, way to reveal the truth, that prayer is a Christian thing. And I was reading this, it really made me think. And I'm not sure I liked what I thought as a response to what I was thinking about. I thought this. If a modern-day Luke was following us around, was following you around, was following me around, was following our church around, if someone was writing about our lives, my life, your life, like Luke was engaged in the process of following the people around who were the early Christians and recording what they did, would that modern-day Luke say that we are devoted to prayer? 
Luke was just looking at what was going on in their rank and file, everyday lives of the people. And whether they were leaders, they were the 120 who were there, they were the thousands who got saved. And he looked at it and he's writing, this is what I see about them. They're devoted to the apostles' teachings and they're devoted to prayer. All of them. And I wonder, would a modern day Luke look at me, would he look at you, would he look at Portview and say, we are devoted to prayer? I don't know the answer. If not, if he wouldn't say that, I think we need to do some evaluation and make some adjustments based upon the revealed truth of God. Because why does God reveal truth? Does he reveal truth to us because he's angry at us and wants to make, he wants to make a point to us and he wants to suppress us? No. He loves us and he wants the best for us. And he makes a point to us so that we can live the best life that he wants for his people. What he's showing us here in the book of Acts is the best life. Part of it is being devoted to prayer. You see, when I read the book of Acts, this is what I see. I see the type of life that I want for myself. I see the type of life I want for my kids and for my grandkids. I I see the type of life I want for every one of us. A life where Jesus, and we're walking with him present, that he becomes more important than anything else, and we're walking with him is important. We're so walking with him so closely that we are empowered by his presence. Where people are set free, where people are healed, where people are saved, where evil has to flee. Where his followers are filled with joy in spite of negative circumstances so the world can, can literally melt down in our presence. And we're not, we're not susceptible to the, to the junk of the world. We're saying, you know what? But I got Jesus in my life, and that's all that matters. And friends, Acts is revealing. Because that's what you read when you book a back, when you read the book of Acts. If you're reading it with us, and I hope you are, and you've still got a month now to make it at least one time through, you see that the Spirit has inspired Luke to show a connection. There's a connection between the type of experience that they live, this life of supernatural reality of God, and the fact that they, they, all of them were devoted to prayer. He shows a connection. Acts reveals a connection. See, it's not, though, that through prayer, this is where people get it wrong, through prayer, people somehow think they're, they spend enough time in prayer, they can force God to do certain things. So people think, so I pray, if I just pray every day for this, God will have to do it. God will do it. I'll, I'll de- declare it that God has to do it. It's not the way it works. not the way Scripture shows it. Rather, this is how it works. In the relationship of prayer, because that's what prayer is. Prayer is simply you being with God, Him talking to you, primarily through His Word, you talking to Him, sitting in His presence, spending time with Him, asking Him for things, and listening. For a still small voice that He says that He wants to speak within us. And it's in that relationship of prayer that God guides us into circumstances where he does miraculous things. Think about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts when he has what we call the Macedonian call. Paul wanted to go into Asia, and it said the Spirit forbid him to go to Asia. He wanted to go, wanted to go, couldn't go, and finally he has a miraculous encounter with God of a man saying, come over to Macedonia. Macedonia, so he leads people to Christ, he, gets, he goes across, goes there, and it's the first in our view of the world, European converts. Who's got a European descent in here? I just did an answer to DNA. I finally found out that I'm actually Swedish and not Norwegian. Thought it was Norwegian. German and Swedish primarily. 
And guess what? Polish. Didn't know that. Polish. If you have that kind of ancestry, you know what? Going to Macedonia brought the gospel to the people who were your ancestors. How did that happen? Did Paul stand and say, I'm going to Macedonia? No, Paul was in prayer. And in the relationship of prayer, he had a vision and God said, come over to Macedonia. The miracle that happened, happened because he was in prayer and the guidance of the Holy Spirit guided him to do something that God was already working on. It's in prayer that God guides us into what he wants accomplished. And and I'll say this, he oftentimes in prayer does it by illuminating the word of God to us. So suddenly we understand what God is saying to us clearly through his words. That means you have to be a person of the word. And friend, it's in the relationship of prayer where God forms us so that we can walk through um, our lives more like Jesus, which then is a more powerful life. It's in prayer where God speaks to my heart. And he says, Mark, I've got something better for you than what you're doing right now. Mark, I've got a challenge for you. Mark, I'd like to cut that out of your life. Mark, I'd like to add that to your life. You know what I'm talking about. It's in prayer. One of the reasons I think we don't like to pray is we don't want to hear that. Be honest with ourselves, right? I don't want to hear that because I've got a pretty good plan for what I want. I've got it pretty well figured out. I've got, I'm telling God all the time, this is how I think it ought to happen. But when I'm sitting with the Lord in prayer, there's times he says, I got something different for you. And man, that's something different. Sometimes it's something very scary. Something very challenging. Every day I pray through this in my mind. I pray for certain things. And you know what one of the things I pray through? I pray for a whole morning confession I pray through. One of the things is I pray every morning, Lord, help me to love Suzanne as you love the church. Sometimes, you know, believe it or not, I wake up crabby sometimes. Am I ever crabby? Never. <laughs> she needs to pray. And there's... And there's times when I pray that prayer in the morning, it literally changes my attitude that reminds me how I have to treat the person that's the most important in my life to me. It's in prayer because prayer forms us. I'm praying what's truth. I'm praying what I want to become. I'm allowing God to change and transform me. And that's what prayer does. Prayer forms us. And if he forms us to be more like Jesus, then we live more powerful lives. And in the relationship of prayer, we experience his presence in ways that we don't if we don't pray. So that guess what? The world can literally crumble around our feet. And if, I have, if you know this, you know this. If you're in the midst of turmoil, and I've talked to so many people over the years, so many people, and they're going through something that I have no idea how they're standing up in the middle of it. And they'll go, I've never felt the presence of God more strongly in my life than right now. When I pray, he's there. When I talk to him, he's there. Friends, that's what he offers to us so that the world can crumble around your feet, but he wants to be there with you. And when they say that he's there in the moment, they're like, well, then it doesn't matter what's going on. We still wish things weren't the way they were, but, but I'm experiencing real life in Christ. Friends, it only happens when we're people of prayer. You see, prayer is the relationship. Friends, without prayer, and hear what I say here. I'm saying this very, I think, carefully and succinctly. Without prayer, Christianity is just a philosophy. 
Because without prayer, people simply follow rules and regulations instead of being led and developed by God through the relationship. Without prayer, Christianity is simply a philosophy. And there's all kinds of philosophies in the world. There's a lot of people who say they're Christians, they just live by philosophical Christianity. Because without prayer, people simply follow rules and regulations of the philosophy instead of being led and developed by God through the relationship. So prayer is essential. So Acts reveals that prayer is is the Christian life. And Acts gives us some insights into what Christian, Christian prayer can look like. So all this so far is just saying prayer is important. But there's some really practical applications, I think, from the book of Acts. And I want you to take note of two things that Acts reveals about prayer to help us, to help you, to help me be pe- become people who, who we say we want to be this kind of person. We want to experience... Who doesn't want to experience the book of Acts kind of life? I do. Of course you do. If we don't, we probably don't even want to follow Jesus. So you wouldn't be here. So two things. The first is this. In the early church, what we see woven constantly throughout Acts is that the people in Acts had regular times of prayer. Meaning that they, that they had certain times that were scheduled and set aside for prayer. Acts chapter 3 tells us about Peter and John healing a man, lame man at the temple gate. Remember that story? They're going to the temple, and there's a guy who's sitting there at the temple called Beautiful, and he's sitting there, and, and Peter looks at him and says, what? Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. He goes up by the hand, and the guy jumps up, and his feet are healed, and everybody's, it's caused all his problems because the leaders of the temple are trying to say it couldn't have really happened because they did it in the name of Jesus, and it causes this ruckus. But this guy is, is healed. But it's interesting, the first verse of that chapter leading up to that says something that we could just usually skip by in the story. Chapter, one, chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon, to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Let's remember who these people were, because we're going to say what applies to us and what doesn't apply to us. These were Jewish men, Peter and John, who had become followers of Jesus. These early Christians, we see in the beginning of their relationship with the Lord, continued with the Jewish customs. And one of the Jewish customs was that there were regularly scheduled times of prayer in the temple. And in their time, it kind of worked rather easily because in their time, um, all life really was, it was very con- contained. Um, they, they lived far and stars, no trains, no planes. So they lived in a community. They didn't travel far. And so life was lived in this very small area and the temple was the center of their life experience as Jewish people. So everything in their life was about, all their activities were about, built around the activities of the temple. So when the temple had prayer at 3 o'clock, what did you do at 3 o'clock? You prayed. You went to the temple and prayed. That's why the guy was set outside the door of the temple by, before 3 o'clock, because they knew that people were coming to pray, and he could get money from them to help him because he was poor. So they prayed. Now, fast forward 2,000 years. We live, in a, we live in a scattered world. Our lives are scattered. Just think of where we've all come from this morning. 
We've come from West Bend. We've come from Sheboygan. We've come from Plymouth. Uh, from, from, uh, from Plymouth. We've come from Port Washington. We've come from Cedarburg. We've come from Mequon. I can just think of people here. Where we've all come from this morning. We've come from all over the place. Steve just got back from Germany from work, and he's going back to Germany. You know, we scatter all over the place. These people, most of them never traveled more than 10 miles from their house in their entire life. Can you imagine that? They were never more than 10 miles from their home. And most of us drive more than 10 miles to work every single day. We'll, I'll drive more than 10 miles to get ice cream all the time. We get in our car and we have ice cream dates. When we think of where's an ice cream place 50 miles away and we drive for ice cream, right? You do it too, right? That's the world we live in. I get thumbs up. That's the world we live in. We're scattered. They weren't. They lived in this one little geographic place. So outside of Sunday morning and Wednesday evenings, when we make intention to drive our cars from all over, you know, other than that, we aren't coming to this location. Our staff is, and some people who live close by and help out. Man, I'm awful glad that Paul lives close enough to come and help cut the grass every week. You know, and Randy, um, they come and they do it. But outside of that, most of us aren't at this location. So you could say, well, yeah, they got together at 3 o'clock and prayed because that was their world. They lived in this little closed area. and It was small. They didn't travel, and the temple was the center of things. Well, of course they prayed at 3 o'clock. Let's not let the fact of their life compared to our life rob us of a principle. Rob us of the principle that it, was, that it is important to the early church to set time aside for prayer. Having a time scheduled into your calendar for prayer doesn't have to be a temple thing. It's a Christian thing. Time to just be with God and talk to him and ask him and to look to his word and spend time with him, that is a principle we take from the church. No, we don't have 3 o'clock prayer here at church because if we did, guess what? None of you would show up. Be honest. If I had 3 o'clock prayer tomorrow, how many of you physically could even show up? A couple. A couple. Because most of us are working. We're off somewhere. You're in Milwaukee or Germantown or wherever. Right? But you know what? You can set 3 o'clock as a prayer time on your calendar or 6 a.m. as a prayer time, or 9 p.m. as a time when you will put everything else aside, put everything else on hold, and just be with God. With God and his word, and sit with him, and be with him, and listen to him, and talk to him, because that's what prayer is. Prayer is not this huge, horrible, rotten thing, and you've got to have all these lists. So lists are good, and I think pre-written prayers are good because they form us, but it's just being with God. And we can schedule our lives around that, right? We can learn that from the early church, that having regular scheduled times of prayer was important. So that's something we can do, right? Let's look at another thing that we we can do, because it leads us to our next thing revealed about prayer. And I think this is so important, that often we find out in the early church, they prayed with other Christians. They didn't just pray and set time time aside to pray. They set time aside to pray, and in those times aside to pray, they prayed with other Christians. Now, maybe we are so scattered that we can't come to one location to pray. 
outside of Sunday and Wednesday. And we do have on certain days, and they read week and pray together. So we do have those prayer times at our church where people do come on certain days and they meet for prayer. But you can still meet with one another, with another person or a few other people to pray. Too often, I believe this, we think that prayer is intended to be private and individual. And we see private individual prayer. When you read through the scriptures, Jesus often went by himself to a lonely place to pray. And if you read through the Psalms, you see most of the Psalms are David's prayers put down on paper where he's by himself and he's crying out to God for something. There's alone time in prayer. That's essential. Part of prayer is being alone with God. But in Acts, we also see that people prayed together in groups. Acts 1, chapter 14 says that they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. They all met together, Acts 1.14, and, and were con- constantly united in prayer. They were united in prayer. They prayed together. Together they cried out to God, and together they sought God's presence. Together they prayed for one another. And so understand this, this wasn't a church thing. Praying with other people was part of the fabric of their Christian community. When they gathered, one of the things they included was prayer. And I was thinking, I just wonder what would happen if when we met together for fun or for getting stuff done for work, we'd also take some time out for prayer. We'd take some time out and we'd pray together. I think great things would happen. I just wonder what would happen if every husband and wife in this place would make it a habit to regularly pray together. And people, some people's heads are starting to go down. I'm not staring at anybody on purpose. I have a friend. His name is Patty. He was a pastor when I was a, he was one of my mentors when I was a brand new pastor planting our very first church. And God somehow put it on his heart to ask me if um, Suzanne and I prayed together. I'm like, yeah, 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 I will. We will. And so finally he asked me, asked me, asked me, asked me. He finally said, Larson, listen to me. I'm never going to stop asking you every time I see you if you're praying with your wife because God wants you to pray with your wife. He said, so I'm going to ask you so that you will finally start praying with your wife and I don't, that then you'll, you, won't, you won't run from me anymore because you know what you're going to, I'm going to ask you. And that guy for years asked me. Guess what happened after a couple of years of Patty asking me to pray all the time? I pray praying with my wife. I started praying with Suzanne. I didn't necessarily start praying with Suzanne because I wanted to pray with Suzanne. I started praying with Suzanne so that Patty would stop asking me. <laughs> or when he asked me, I'd say, yep, prayed with Suzanne this morning. God's honest truth. It was just I had one Patty to be quiet. Leave me alone. Stop asking me. Well, for almost our entire life, that was we were brand new. Almost our entire life, we pray every day together. Almost every day. Not every day, but almost every day. We do it when we wake up in the morning. We're fortunate we wake up, we can wake up at the same time with our schedules. We get up, and before we go off in our own private prayer time, we pray together. Laying in bed, we pray for you. We pray for our kids. We pray for what's going on in our lives. Sometimes it takes, because we usually snooze, we hit the snooze. It usually takes us about two or three snoozes. A snooze is nine minutes. And so... Suzanne's usually, her head's usually laying on my chest when we're praying, and I can reach over because her, her phone is the alarm clock. I reach over, and I grab it, and I hit snooze again. It's usually two or three snoozes we pray every day. Then we get up and go about our day. Our life is better 
because we pray together every day. What would happen at Portview Church if you did it? You go, oh, I can't work because I get up before she does or she gets before me or she's too crabby in the morning or he's too crabby in the morning. Well, then do it a different time. The principle was they prayed at 3 o'clock in the temple. We don't have to pray at 3 o'clock in the temple. It said just pray. The principle is pray with other people. The main prayer partner I have, the main person I pray with the most with is Suzanne. There's been times in my life where I have different prayer partners where I've met with all the time for prayer. I don't, really, I don't really have that right now. I pray some different people, but not that sense of the prayer partner I have, my main prayer partner is my wife. We pray every single day. Unless I'm going fishing. <laughs> and I'd still pray with her, but she doesn't want to get up that early. So I try to sneak out. I put my clothes in the bathroom so I don't have to wake her up. For 30 years, we've been praying together every day. I'm not going to ask you to nag the person they're praying about patting. And I would say the spouses, you can't nag the person they're praying about Patty nagged me into it. But it wasn't her nagging me into it. I would say this, though. When you know what the right thing to do, just do it. Do an experiment. You say it feels awkward. It doesn't make it feel awkward at first. You know what it can be? You don't start off the way you do. You can start off this way. Before you walk out, the, before one person walks out the door in the morning, literally stop. Come here, sweetheart. Literally stop and hold her hand. And just pray a blessing over your spouse and let them pray a blessing over you. Then you get a kiss. And then you say goodbye and you go for the day. You know, you can do that. <laughs> so that's not hard to do. So pray, for, pray with another person. Pray with your spouse. And I just wonder what would happen in our church at Portview if every one of us had a prayer partner, spouse or somebody else, spouse and somebody else, and we'd regularly meet and pray with another person. And here's the deal. You go, oh, I live out in the country and I can't. We're great at excuses. I don't have it with me on purpose. But what's that little, Suzanne, you have one. Use that. What's that little rectangular thing called? Does anybody in here not have one of these? Okay, we have three. Might be some good parenting back there. <laughs> I would say this. <laughs> and you can pray at your brothers and sisters at home and your mom and dad. You can meet anybody at any place at any time on the planet with your phone. Can you possibly catch? Who? <laughs> you don't have to be physically in their presence for you to pray. Suzanne prays on the phone with people all the time. I pray on the phone with people all the time. Maybe it's at, at, at 3, or whatever your 3 is, your 3 is at is 6 a.m., you meet for 15 minutes with a prayer partner, and you pray on the phone together. You pray for each other. What would be, how would our church benefit? How would the kingdom get? I believe we would live lives more like the book of Acts. So they all met together in prayer. The worship team would come this morning. I said earlier that one thing that we see revealed in Acts is that there was a connection between prayer and the activity of God in their lives. I believe God today did things in our lives in our church service because in the, in the environment of worship, we prayed, we held things up to God, we released things to God, and as we did that, um, things happened. And so I just, 
can't imagine why we wouldn't want to pray. Wouldn't it be great if our fresh look into the book of Acts led us to set prayer into our schedules and to prioritize praying with another person and finding a prayer partner? Wouldn't it be great if this today's message caused that maybe a husband and wife to try it again? To try it again. Maybe you, were, you prayed together for a long time and you stopped or one spouse said, can we try it? And the other one said, I'm uncomfortable. Listen, it's your spouse. Try to find something that works. And you know what? Be gracious with each other. Maybe one person's less comfortable doing it than the other. So one person can take the lead and the other person can just say the amens. Whatever it is. But wouldn't it be great if our fresh look into the book of Acts caused us to, to more commit ourselves to scheduling prayer and praying with other people? There's obviously only one way to end our service. It's by prayer. And I think there's two ways. I'm going to invite you all to stand with me this morning. Two ways that we could pray together. I'm going to, I'm going to, do the, I'm going to, I'm going to explain the two ways that I want you to pray, and, and I want you to do what you feel comfortable with. And even if you're uncomfortable, maybe push yourself a little bit. Here's the two ways. The first way is this. I'm going to encourage you to join with a couple of people around you. Maybe it's family or friends. Maybe it's husband and wife. Join with a couple of people around you. If there's somebody by themselves, invite them in. Let them say no if they don't want to. Join with a few other people around you and ask if there's any needs. And then together as a group, small group, pray for those things. That's one way. The other way is this. You can just sit by yourself in prayer and if you're just talking to God, tell him what you're thinking, pray and talk to God. Spend some time just talking to God. Tell him what you're thinking, what you're needing, what you're longing for and just talk to God. And do that. We're going to challenge you to, to kind of move in your seats and find someone to pray with, a couple people to pray with and spend, spend the time during this next song just praying with one another. Then I'll come up and close our service and invite you to come forward with prayer. So let's, as the song begins to sing, just turn in your seats or just sit if you don't want to participate in that. You can just sit down in your chair. Talk to God. But let's just spend a few minutes while they're singing, praying for one another.